Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it does indeed transform us as we read it. We find out about your son Jesus Christ and we marvel at him and embrace him and the sacrifice he made for our sins. Lord, we pray as we consider him this morning that we may be attracted to him more and more. We pray for anyone here this morning who does not believe in Jesus Christ for their sins. We pray that they may do so this morning. And we pray for those who do trust in Jesus, that they may go strengthened in the faith as a result of coming here this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've been in the ministry for a number of years now. Uh, this is my sixth year here at Dremoyne Baptist uh, that I've been a pastor of a church. And most of that time I've actually been a religious marriage celebrant as well. I was uh, qualified by the Baptist Union uh, as a pastor of this church that I could be to perform marriages. And it has been over the last six years the case that I have not needed uh, to perform any weddings at any stage and uh, I've, I've given marriage counselling to a number of couples that have then uh, been involved with somebody else doing the wedding uh, but I have not actually had to marry anyone until uh, in a few uh, until now basically in a few months time I'm going to have to uh, perform the wedding of a cousin in Queensland and so this week I decided it was about time that I uh, checked that I'm still qualified and that I know what is uh, necessary to perform the wedding and what uh, paperwork needs to be filled in. And so I started to ring uh, different people who seemed to refer me on to other people uh, consistently and uh, not know what was uh, what the, the thing that I was requiring. But eventually I've worked it out and I have come to the conclusion that I can uh, perform this wedding and it will be legal and valid. But I think we all recognize that there are only, that we can only do certain things in the eyes of the Lord if we have a valid registration, if our registration is valid. That there are only certain people that can do certain things in our land legally. You have to have a necessary qualification for many things if you are to do something and have that recognized as legal. Because we can do lots of things. You can pronounce someone dead but I'm not sure that that would go on the death certificate that you are qualified to do that. Uh, there's only certain people who are qualified to be able to pronounce someone as dead. And so it is with lots of things. And this morning we're going to be looking at this subject of qualifications, particularly for Jesus Christ, and the qualification of him as a high priest. Because we've been going slowly through the book of Hebrews and we've seen a number of times that Jesus is spoken of as a high priest and in a particular order, an order of priesthood, and that is the order of Melchizedek. If you've got a church Bible there, I encourage you to have it open, or your own Bible, to uh, Hebrews chapter 7, which we'll be looking at this morning. But firstly, I just want to show you that this order of Melchizedek has shown up in a couple of places. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, we read, And he says in another place, You, referring to Jesus, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then in verse 10 of chapter 5, he says, And was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then last week, in the passage that we looked at, which was from chapter 6, verse 20, we see that it says again, Where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the author of Hebrews has dropped this line a few times now, that Jesus Christ is priest in the order of Melchizedek. 
And up to this stage, we're going, okay, so what is this Melchizedek and why is he so important and the order of Melchizedek? Why do I keep hearing about this in reference to Jesus? Why not just say he is a priest? And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at the fact whether Jesus is indeed a priest. Has his priesthood been established? That his registration is up to date when he offers a sacrifice? Because we've got to remember that to, uh, that a priesthood is essential if you are to offer sacrifices for sins. Not just anyone can make atonement for sins. You have to be a priest. A, uh, a person can offer a sacrifice. Anyone can try and offer a sacrifice. But God gets very angry if you're not qualified to offer a sacrifice, if you're not a priest. And no atonement for sin is actually made with the sacrifice that you offer. You might be able to kill the animal and burn it, but if you aren't qualified to offer a sacrifice, you get in big trouble. And an example of that is King Saul in the Old Testament. He offers a sacrifice in 1 Samuel. He's waiting for Samuel to come and do the sacrifice, and he sees, he says, the people are leaving, and he wants to keep everybody together. And so he offers a sacrifice. And he's not a priest. He's a king. But he's not a priest. And God gets angry. And as a consequence, Saul loses his right over the kingdom. The kingdom is taken from him and from his family. And we understand that this is the case, that if you don't have the right registration, then what you do is not indeed valid. It's like I could marry people without being a religious marriage celebrant, and I could say that these people are married, but they wouldn't be married in the eyes of the law, and I would get in big trouble. If you go around marrying people when you're not qualified by the Australian government to do marriages, that apparently, I was reading the paperwork this week as my refresher, the penalty is $500 or imprisonment for six months. Now, I'd hope if, I, if, if, if you did that, that you get a judge who gives you the $500 rather than the six months in prison. But uh, there are consequences. I don't think any of us would like to spend six months in prison. And so we recognise that you have to have the right qualifications if you are to do something. And there can be serious consequences if you do not have those qualifications. So if Jesus is to offer a sacrifice for our sins, then Jesus needs to be a registered priest. So what is the qualification for a priesthood? How do you get to be a priest? Now, if you want to be a marriage celebrant, well, you can be a secular one and do the necessary training, or you can uh, be a religious one and, and go through a particular denomination and get it. But how do you get the qualification to be a priest? Well, usually the qualification to be a priest of God and to offer sacrifices that are valid in his eyes means you have to be from a particular tribe, from the tribe of Levi. And that is what the author mentions in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, page 1188, it says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? So we see there that there's this order of Aaron, that there's a Levitical priesthood. That's Basically, Aaron is a descendant of Levi, and then Aaron's descendants become the priests, the Jewish priests that are offer, able to offer sacrifices. And we see in the Old Testament that if you claim to be from the tribe of Levi and cannot actually trace your genealogy back to Aaron, 
then you are actually, you weren't allowed to offer sacrifices. An example of that is found in Ezra chapter 2, verse 61. You can look it up this afternoon if you like. And there's these people who come back from exile and they're saying, we're, we're Levites. And they say, okay, prove it by your genealogy back to Aaron. And they say, oh, we can't. We kind of got lost in the move from Israel to Babylon and back to Israel. You know, these things don't survive. Records, frame of trees, get burnt. And they can't prove it. And so what, what happens? They're excluded from the priesthood. They can't do it. They may claim to be from Levi, but unless they can prove it, they cannot be priests. So then if Jesus is to be a priest, then which family did he come from? Must be Levi. No. What family does, what tribe does Jesus come from of the 12 tribes of Israel? He comes from Judah. And the author points this out in verse 14. It says, For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. The people from Judah have never been priests. It's always been the people from Levi. So how can Jesus claim to be a priest? Surely he's disqualified because he's not from the tribe of Levi. Unless there is another type of priesthood, unless there's another order of priesthood, and there is in the Old Testament, there is a priest who is before Levi, who is mentioned in the Old Testament, and he is Melchizedek. And basically this chapter is going to establish that Jesus is from that order and that then Jesus is qualified to be a priest who can offer sacrifices for our sins. Now you may think this seems like a big waste of time. Can't Jesus just claim to be a priest and we move on and we don't need to establish that he's from this order of Melchizedek? Well, the trouble, if you're thinking that is, the trouble is you're not good Jews. You're, you're Gentiles, generally speaking, aren't you? I don't know of anyone who's a Jew here. And we've got to remember that the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews. It's written to Jews who are thinking of leaving Christianity because they think it's not the true faith. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to establish that Jesus Christ is indeed the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and is indeed greater than all the other prophets who have come in the past. He is indeed greater than everything else. And so that then means he has to establish, the author of Hebrews has to establish that Jesus is indeed a priest. Because if you go around saying that Jesus is a priest and you're a Jew and you know that he's from Judah, you're going to say, uh-uh, that doesn't work. You've got to be from Levi. You've made a mistake. This book is not valid. All that Christianity professes has made a mistake. It's built on faulty doctrine. Because Jesus isn't from the tribe of Levi. So he can't be a priest, which means you can't have your sins paid for, which means I have to go back to Judaism and start killing bulls and goats again. Jesus' sacrifice at the cross is not a sacrifice at all. It's an unholy offering because he's not from the tribe of Levi. That's what you could say. And so the author knows this and knows that it's crucial that he establish that Jesus is indeed a qualified priest because then his sacrifice is a qualified sacrifice to make atonement for sins. And so chapter 7 is seeking to establish that. Now, so then you've got to put on a sort of a Jewish hat this morning. Um, there is an actual Jewish hat, isn't there? Um, put on your skull caps and, uh, and, and think in that kind of frame of mind and understand this morning that we're looking at whether Jesus is indeed qualified to be a high priest. And he is because he is in the order of Melchizedek. So how is Jesus a priest in the order of Melchizedek? 
This Melchizedek we see in the Old Testament before Levi was even born was a priest. So if Jesus can be, a, if Jesus can establish that he is of that order, he is before Levi, and so then he can be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So we've got this Old Testament character which is mentioned in verses 1, 2 and 3 of Hebrews chapter 7, Melchizedek. And we've read from Genesis 14 where you hear the little bit of information we know about him. And I'm going to show this morning that Jesus is like Melchizedek in a number of ways that the author has shown us in Hebrews chapter 7. That Jesus is like Melchizedek. So how is he like Melchizedek? Well firstly, my first main point this morning, you can see my main points are listed there on the back of the church bulletin. My first main point is that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he is a king, because Jesus is a king. Melchizedek was a king. And you can see that in chapter 7, verse 1, page 1187 of your Black Church Bibles. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, it says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem, the priest of God Most High. Melchizedek was not just a priest, he was a king. And Jesus is also a king. We read in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, But the Lamb, that's referring to Jesus, will overcome them because he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Jesus is indeed a king, and so he is like Melchizedek, who was a king as well. So that's the first main point. Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he is a king. Secondly, how else is Jesus like Melchizedek? Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he is a king of righteousness. Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he is a king of righteousness. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. We see that in verse 2. So if you look at verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 7, it says, And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Then it says, First his name, that's referring to Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. If you know any Hebrew, you can see that straight away. The, the word for king and the word for righteousness, you put them together and you get Melchizedek, king of righteousness. And Jesus is also a king of righteousness. He's not just a king, he's a king of righteousness. The author of Hebrews has established this back in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Flip back with me a few pages to this wonderful statement about who Jesus is. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. We read, But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Jesus is a king of righteousness. He rules righteously. He rules with justice. He does what is right. He does not rule with wickedness, as many of the rulers of this world will. He rules with righteousness. So he sees that justice is done. And he's a king of righteousness in another sense, in that he grants righteousness to others as well. In passages like 1 Corinthians 1.30, it tells us that Jesus is our righteousness, that his righteousness has been imputed to us, and that we are righteous because our king of righteousness has given us his righteousness. So Jesus is qualified to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek because he's a king like Melchizedek was and because he's a king of righteousness like Melchizedek was. How else is Jesus like Melchizedek? Well, my third main point this morning is that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he is a king of peace. 
Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he is a king of peace. We see that Melchizedek was a king of peace. And that is also given to us in verses uh, 1 and then also 2 of Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 we read this, Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. Now that may not tell you much because you don't know Hebrew. But the author knows that you may not know Hebrew and he brings it out for us. He says, after he's said that the, uh, Melchizedek is the king of Salem, he then says, He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First his name means king of righteousness, so that's Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Most of you would know the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom, a greeting, it just means peace. And so Salem is a derivative of shalom. Peace. And Melchizedek was a king of peace then. And so we know then that if Jesus is to be in the order of Melchizedek, he must also have to be a king of peace. Is Jesus a king of peace? He's a king of righteousness, yes. But does he bring about peace? Well, the Bible tells us again and again that Jesus is indeed a king of peace. In a prophecy about him in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is Prince of Peace. And then we also understand that he doesn't just have peace in himself. He also brings about peace for others. Colossians 1.20 tells us that he made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus brings about peace in this world and peace for all eternity. He is indeed a king of peace. He brings about peace between humans and animals. One of the great gifts that Christianity has given to the world is inventions of um, organisations like the RSPCA and that we have respect for animals. There is a peace that comes between us and animals. So we can eat animals, yes, but we should not be cruel towards them. There's a peace that happens between us and creation as a result of the Prince of Peace. There's also a peace that happens between humans and humans. If you become a Christian, you should be loving towards others rather than hate them. And there's a peace that even comes between us and ourselves that we actually have settled consciences because of the peace that God gives us. He gives us this renewing that happens inside. And then there's a peace that God gives us, amazingly. This is the most wonderful peace that he gives between humans and God. We are rebels against him when we sin. We are his enemies. We are at war with God. But then the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace, the King of Salem comes, the King of Shalom comes and makes peace between us and God. So Jesus is qualified to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek because he's a king, he's a king of righteousness, and he's a king of peace. How else is Jesus qualified to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek? Well, my fourth main point this morning is that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he blesses God's people. Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he blesses God's people. We see this with Melchizedek, the the original Melchizedek. He blesses Abraham in verse 1 and 2 we read this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high 
he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham had been to war and he returns and this Melchizedek just appears and blesses Abraham, God's pers- uh, one of God's people. And Jesus does this as well. He blesses God's people. All through the New Testament are scattered references of the blessings of God that are given, blessed, and the blessings that are pronounced on you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does indeed bless his people through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who blesses us. And it's interesting that I, we, we might stretch it a little uh, too far, but it was interesting that Abraham's coming back from the defeat of kings and is then is blessed. Can we see some sort of link to us today in that we defeat sin and the king of this world, Satan, and then Jesus blesses us as we're coming back from battling with Satan, with Jesus Christ, of course, working with us, and he is the one who has conquered Satan ultimately, but we are in him. And as we return from the defeat of the king of this world, then God blesses us. But at a minimum, we should recognize that Jesus is qualified to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek because just as Melchizedek blessed God's people, Jesus also blesses God's people. How else is Jesus like Melchizedek? Well, Jesus is also in the order of Melchizedek because he accepts a thank offering. He accepts a thank offering. He accepts a thanksgiving offering, which we see Melchizedek do as well. Melchizedek comes out and then he accepts a tenth of the plunder from one of God's people, Abraham. We read that in verse 2. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, does Jesus accept offerings from God's people? Yes. We are expected to give to Jesus Christ. He has given us much, yes. But then we are supposed to give as well. And I would suggest whether we can say a tenth would be a good starting point for us to give to God. They tithed in the Old Testament, yes. And when we consider it, the Jews actually gave a lot more than 10% of what they had. And when you count all the sacrifices that they had to make for their sins as well. I, I always think it would be so terrible if your, your, your income was connected to your sin. It would be a good deterrent. If you've got one bull left in the family and you know that if you sin, that bull will have to have its throat cut, it would be a very good deterrent. But we in the New Testament do not have that connection because, of course, the, Christ, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient. But we really should be considering, can we give much more than a tenth? We should look at our incomes and say, 10%, really, I mean, you look at our lives in comparison to the people who lived in tents as the Israelites did, and how little they would have had in comparison to us today. Is a tenth really enough to be giving to God as a thank offering to him? It's not to earn your salvation. No, I'm not going to say that you need to tithe to be a Christian. But is a tenth at least an acceptable starting point, as we see here that Abraham giving to Melchizedek. We should be giving to God of our possessions, but also of our lives as well, our time, giving up of our time each day to spend time in worship of him, spend time with other people that we want to see become Christians, encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ. It takes time. Coming along to church on a Sunday morning, it takes time. 
When you give that time, you're giving it to a priest in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. He is very much like Melchizedek in so many ways. And one other way that we've seen is that he does indeed accept thank offerings. How else is Jesus like Melchizedek? Well, Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he has no father, mother or genealogy. Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he has no father, mother or genealogy. Melchizedek appears out of the blue in the Old Testament and the author draws on this and says in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 7, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he, that's Melchizedek, remains a priest forever. This Melchizedek in the Old Testament, he just pops up. Abraham's off fighting, Abraham's the focus of the story and then Abraham's coming back and this guy just shows up and Abraham gives him 10% of what he's got. It's like, where did this guy come from? And the author says that it's like he has no father or mother, no genealogy, which is quite striking for in that part of the Bible. If you look at the earlier chapters of Genesis, anyone that's godly, their genealogy is given and how they're connected back to Seth, the son of Adam, and showing that there's a godly line that continues through to Noah and then continues through Noah's sons to Abraham, that there's this godly line all the time. There's a line of, of, of men of the world as well, but there's a line, a godly line. He gets to Abraham and then this Melchizedek pops up. Like, where's he come from? How's he connected to Noah? How's he connected back to Adam, to the godly line? Because he's clearly godly. I mean, if Abraham, God's servant, is giving him 10%, then this is no ordinary person. And he's worshipping the same God. It says that this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. And that, that word, that phrase, God Most High, is, a, is the same series of words that are used for reference to who Abraham worships. Abraham is said to worship God Most High. So it's not like Melchizedek is a worshipper of a pagan god of some sort. He's a worshipper of the true and living God, the God Most High. The same God that we worship, the same God that Abraham worshipped, is the God that Melchizedek worshipped and was a priest of. And so the author draws on this, that there's no father, mother, genealogy mentioned for Melchizedek and shows that this is a parallel that we can say that Jesus shares with Melchizedek and makes him qualified to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek because, remember, Jesus has no father, mother or genealogy. And you may say, oh, oh, what about Mary? Yes, in his human nature, the Bible is very clear to point out that Jesus does indeed have a genealogy. Even this author mentions it. He's going to mention down in verse 14 about Jesus coming from the tribe of Judah. How do you come from the tribe of Judah if you don't have a genealogy? Jesus, as to his human nature, has a mother and he has a genealogy. There's two of them that are contained in the New Testament, Matthew and Luke's Gospel, two different ones. One traces back through Joseph, one through Mary. He has genealogies as to his human nature. But as to his divine nature, as the Son of God, Jesus is without father, without mother, without genealogy. He has always existed. He is an eternal being who has always been. Revelation 1 verse 8 says, I am, this is Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He has always been. Now he does refer to his father as God the Father. 
But that's not in the sense that God the Father created him. That's heresy. He has always been. And so like Melchizedek, popping out of the blue, the author shows that Jesus also pops out of the blue. He has always been. And that makes him qualified to be in the order of Melchizedek as a priest. So we've seen how Jesus is qualified to be in the order of Melchizedek for a number of reasons. I've still got more. How else is Jesus like Melchizedek? Well, my seventh main point this morning is that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he has no end of life. It's interesting the author draws this out as well. He says in verse 3, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he, that's Melchizedek, remains a priest forever. We see that this, this Melchizedek, he appears in the Old Testament without any genealogy or references to his mum or dad. And then he blesses Abraham and then he disappears. Nothing else is said about him. And so people go, who is this person? He has no end of life according to the Bible. Is this person someone who died? And the question remains, does he die? Now, of course, I, I, I do think that Melchizedek did have a genealogy, that he did have a mum and a dad, and that he did have a, a, um, an end of life, but the Bible is silent on this issue. Some people, of course, do think that this is a reference to Jesus uh, and that Jesus showed up as Melchizedek in the Old Testament, but I, I disagree with that, and I'll, I'll, I might come back to that in a minute as to uh, that conclusion, uh, that this isn't Christ. But nevertheless, we see that he is qualified to be in the priesthood of Melchizedek because just like Melchizedek had no end of life, there's no mention, Jesus also has no end of life. The Bible is clear that he reigns now forever and ever as king. That same passage that I read from Revelation 1.8 says that. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who, wa- who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He will live forever. There is no end of days for Jesus. He will reign eternally. So is Jesus qualified to be a priest in the order, high priest in the order of Melchizedek? Yes. And that's my eighth main point this morning. As we've gone through these points together, the eighth main point is basically my conclusion. Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek because he is a priest. If Jesus is like Melchizedek in all these other ways, then he must be like Melchizedek in the terms of his priesthood as well. He is both king and priest, which is an amazing thing because in the Old Testament you were a king or you are a priest or you are a prophet. The wonderful thing about Jesus is he's king, priest and prophet. And here we have in the Old Testament a king and a priest combined together. And that's what Jesus is. He is indeed priest of God most high. Jesus, we've got to remember, is not qualified to be a priest in the order of Levi. He's not from the tribe of Levi. But if Melchizedek was a priest, then Jesus most certainly is qualified to be a priest as well. And pretty much nobody else is. You've got to meet all these qualifications. You've got to be king. You've got to be king of righteousness. You've got to be king of peace. You've got to have no mum, no dad, no genealogy, no end of life. It's either, it's sort of Melchizedek and Jesus. Clearly Jesus is qualified to be a priest. And so Jesus is a priest that is worth following. In fact, 
We could say, and I think the author wants to draw this out as we look in later verses, but particularly in verse 3, that Jesus is really the only true priest and all other priests are mini-priests that pointed to the true priest of Jesus. And that's, and I think he draws that out in verse 3 for us. It says, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Like the Son of God. Which is, it's pointing, Melchizedek is like the Son of God. Who's the one that they're comparing now? It's no longer Melchizedek that's being compared to Jesus, that you're comparing Jesus with Melchizedek. It's that Melchizedek is being compared with Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, that the one that's been held up as the model to initially is Melchizedek. Does Jesus look like Melchizedek? And then it turns in verse 3 to holding up Jesus as the model. And Melchizedek is the one that is like the Son of God. And that's also the reason why I don't think this is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It's like the Son of God. It's, it's in that, if that word like wasn't there, then you might be able to draw something out about Jesus showing up in the Old Testament as Melchizedek. But it's that, that word like, it's showing that there's two, two different people there. Said as the Son of God or something like that. He is the Son of God. Well then, you have issues and you might be able to say that Jesus is Melchizedek. But we'll leave that to another debate. That's an interesting sidetrack that people love to look at, whether Melchizedek is indeed Jesus Christ. But I think when it says like the Son of God, it's pointing out that Jesus is the priest. And all other priests are really under him, even Melchizedek. And so that then means if Jesus is the priest, then Jesus can make a sacrifice for your sin. Remember, I might be able to try to marry someone whilst not being qualified. I might pronounce all the right things, but then that person isn't married. With Jesus... When he offers a sacrifice, it is indeed in right standing before the eyes of God and before the eyes of the law. His sacrifice is indeed a true sacrifice. He has offered a sacrifice while a registered high priest before God. And so the sacrifice is valid. So the question you need to ask is, is Jesus your priest? Who is your priest? Who is offering a sacrifice for your sins, making atonement so that you are right before God? We have all sinned. We need restitution to be made. Now, restitution could be made in hell for eternity. Or it could be made by a sacrifice, by a right, rightly registered priest. And if you read the pages of the Bible, there is only one priest who is qualified to make a sacrifice that does indeed pay for sins. And that is Jesus who offered himself on the cross. You need Jesus as your high priest in the order of Melchizedek. How do you have that happen? Trust in Jesus. Trust in him. Trust that his death at the cross was payment for your sins. And if you do that, then he is your priest in the order of Melchizedek. And atonement is made for your sins. And you can go free for all eternity. Let us pray. Let us speak with our God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you did indeed send your Son into this world to be our great High Priest in the order of Melchizedek. We thank you that your word is in agreement with itself, that it does not contradict itself, that Jesus is 
not, not in contradiction with your orders about priests coming from the tribe of Levi. But even though Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, that he is still indeed qualified to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Lord, we pray that we, everyone in this building, may cling to Jesus Christ as our priest, as the one who has registration with you, is qualified with you to offer a sacrifice that does indeed make atonement for sins. And Lord, we pray then that we have all trusted in Jesus Christ. And if there is anyone who has not, that is amongst us this morning, we pray that they may evaluate carefully who their priest is and is their priest qualified to offer a sacrifice for sins. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.